Welcome back to From Hevel to Eternity, my Bible study podcast. I'm Brian, and this is episode number 11 of our current series covering the books of Philippians and Ecclesiastes. It's a study about identity, and it seeks to answer questions like, what is the meaning of all of the work that we do under the sun? We've been alternating books each episode, with Mondays typically for the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, and then Thursdays for Philippians out of the New Testament. So naturally, today we're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 16. That's not confusing at all, right? Well, if you're lost, just bear with me for a minute as I try to connect some dots. So this study focuses on identity. The difference between finding our identity in the world and finding our identity in Christ. In the book of Ecclesiastes, we've seen Solomon explain that work and pleasure and money and popularity and sex, they all fall short of providing true joy, because only God can do that. And then in the book of Philippians, we've seen the author Paul describe a joy and a contentment in the name of Jesus, despite the fact that he's writing from a Roman prison cell. Paul is writing this letter full of love and affection to the church at Philippi. It's a church that he is rejoicing over because of their faithfulness and the fact that they are steadfast and standing firm in sharing the good news of Jesus. Well, the book of Acts can provide us with some background on the church at Philippi. Paul actually plants the seeds for this church plant at Philippi in Acts chapter 16, which we're going to cover today. Here we're going to track the conversion stories of three different people with differing past identities, differing career vocations, and differing ways that God stepped in and transformed their lives. I pray that as we read the stories of Lydia the clothing merchant, the young Greek slave girl, and the Philippian jailer, that you can see God working to transform their identity from things of the world to godly things. I pray that as we study Acts 16, we can see that Christ can transform all peoples from all walks of life for the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neopolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We lived in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Acts 16, verses 11 through 15. So Paul and his small group would travel around the Mediterranean areas, spreading the gospel and planting churches. They arrived in Philippi, and they stayed there for a couple days. And one day, they were wandering around, and they saw a group of women gathered together for a prayer group. So these women weren't Christians. They were probably God-fearing people who had rejected the polytheism of Greece and Rome, but who would not have known the gospel. 
Today, they'd probably be considered seekers, people who believe or who are open to the idea of believing in God, but who haven't heard the gospel or converted to an identity founded in Christ as their savior. One of those people was Lydia. She was not from Philippi, but is noted as being from Thyatira. So the passage calls her a seller of purple goods, which is basically just nice dyed purple clothes that would have been highly fashionable and highly profitable at the time. So she would have been a pretty wealthy businesswoman. Think like the CEO of whatever the most trendy yoga pants are today. I don't know, like a year ago it was LuLaRoe. I don't know what it is today. But she was obviously doing well because in addition to being from Thyatira, the Bible says that she also had a house in Philippi. She was really smart, savvy, and desiring to study. God grants Paul a gospel conversation with her, among other ladies, and then he opens, God does, opens Lydia's heart to hear what Paul was saying in a way that transforms her. She converts to becoming a Christ follower, and then she's baptized to display that. Even more than that, though, she says that after that, her whole household was baptized also. So not only was she converted through a conversation with Paul, but then she shares the gospel with her whole household, and they are converted too. And then by the end of the passage, we see that Lydia actually is inviting Paul, Silas, and Timothy to base their Philippian operations out of her house. Lydia was successful and fashionable in worldly things, but her identity was not wrapped around those things. After her conversion, she had a perspective that was rooted in Christ. Jesus was her identity, and Jesus was her joy. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Acts 6, 16-18 So here we get the conversion story of the fortune-telling slave girl. She obviously had some evil presence in her that provided her with fortune-telling gifts. I've heard that maybe we could think of her as a Torah reader or maybe some voodoo practicer thrown in there too. Either way, she was exploited for money by her masters. We know this because after her conversion, her owners are upset about losing that income source. The Bible says that she followed Paul's group, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. So let's be clear, she was not doing this in a praise God sort of way. This was more of a mocking or a like creepy lady randomly screaming from her street corner sort of crying out. And it went on for days. It was like a manic screaming that would make you wonder if this lady was alright or not. It says that Paul even got greatly annoyed. So she must have been putting in some good work. Because Paul, who was stoned and cursed and imprisoned and chased out of like every place that he went, but could still talk about joy. That Paul, the Bible says, was greatly annoyed with this young lady's antics. We get no indication that she had any concept of or curiosity for God. So she was kind of the opposite of the well-put-together, wealthy, fashionable, and God-seeking Lydia. But God still worked in her. He still transformed her heart, too. He still gave her freedom. But while God had 
Paul meet Lydia in a conversion at the woman's prayer group. Here, God used Paul to miraculously and supernaturally heal the woman of whatever was affecting her. And even though the Bible doesn't explicitly state that she was set free, we get context that she was no longer a fortune-telling slave because her previous owners, in the next few verses, they get very angry with Paul because of it. So God steps in and he changes the trajectory of this girl's life and with it her identity through a powerful act of the Holy Spirit. So it wasn't all conversions, baptisms, and roses for Paul, Silas, and Timothy, though. Having seen their money-making scheme ruined, the slave girl's owners, they drug Paul and Silas before city leaders, and they threw them in prison. So picking up, starting in Acts 16, verse 25, we see, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Acts 16, 25-34 So Paul and Silas are in prison singing worship songs and praying, which in and of itself is pretty inspiring because it says that all the other prisoners were listening. But all of a sudden an earthquake shakes all the prison doors loose and the shackles off of the walls. So context is key here. In ancient Rome, a jailer, the prison guard who was on watch, he was bound and responsible for his captives. If they went missing, then that guard was held personally and publicly accountable. And I'm sure you can imagine that the Romans, they were not merciful in their judgments. He could have actually faced the death sentence if any of his captives had escaped. So the jailer is panicking and actually about to take his own life. He is duty-bound and gung-ho in his job. If he... Maybe I was doing a series about identity. I might even say that part of his identity was wrapped up in his work. But I'll have to wait till good identity series. But before he can take these drastic measures, Paul steps in and lets him know, do not harm yourself for we are all here. So despite the opportunity, Paul and Silas and all of the other prisoners who were listening to Paul and Silas, they all remained in their cells. And God uses that to powerfully transform the dutiful jailer's heart. Paul and Silas's actions shake this jailer to the core, literally. As it says, the jailer rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So God used that public display of Paul and Silas's firmly rooted Christian identity to be the catalyst for this man's conversion story. 
So the man invites them back to his house to share the gospel. And the whole house comes to faith and then is baptized to publicly declare their faith to others. Then the section ends with joy, with the jailer and his family rejoicing that they believe in God. The same type of joy that Paul spoke of having in his Roman prison cell because of this group of Philippian believers were still proclaiming the message of Christ today, that jailer is feeling at that point. It's an amazing testament to their new identities that it produced this amazing joy. Too often you might see people who, or you might yourself experience, periods where maybe once we rejoiced at our salvation, but now it just kind of becomes ho-hum. We still believe, but we might fail to rejoice nearly as much as we did before. Paul in the book of Philippians wants to encourage believers to find that joy, yes, but also that if we stand firm and share the good news of Jesus, others will rejoice because of our faithful identities in Christ. That should be an amazing word of encouragement for us. There will be hard times, down times, times of perseverance and pain and panic. But joy comes out of standing firm in those times, trusting Jesus through it all and glorifying God in our lives. As we work through our study on joy and identity, we find that this chapter shows the unity that can come from a common identity found in Christ. We see people from very different walks of life find unity and joy and growth by coming together to worship the Lord and share the name of Jesus. People who still lived in the world, but they no longer lived for the world. People converted in the city of Philippi, the city whose church Paul was writing to in the book of Philippians. Paul has love and affection for this church because he's seen their personal stories of growth and their maturity as disciples of Christ. Remember the stories of these three people and their identity transformed by Christ as we continue through this study on joy and identity. This weekend, if you are a Christian, meditate on your conversion story. Meditate on how God stepped into your life and saved and transformed you. Then praise God for your new identity in Christ and rejoice in that and rejoice in how you're growing. And then while you work, while you play, while you endure pain and enjoy pleasure, let that identity be the source of an everlasting peace and an eternal joy. If you're not yet a Christian, maybe you're struggling with identity and peace and joy. I pray that God would soften your heart to hear the message of the gospel, that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man, lived the perfect life of obedience that we never could, died on the cross in our place, was raised back to life, is coming back, and is the only person you can turn to for salvation and to attain a right relationship with God. I pray that God allows that truth to transform you from life to death, from the world to Christ. Thanks for listening. All Bible verses are from the English Standard Version, the ESV Bible Translation, which is a copyrighted 2001 by Crossway, a publishing ministry of Good News Publishers. Some of my notes were derived from a book by Matt Chandler titled To Live as Christ, To Die as Gain, which is a commentary on the book of Philippians, and I highly recommend it. Next episode, we're back in the book of Ecclesiastes, covering the first half of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Until next time, though, I love y'all.